You're listening to Brunch with Pre, the podcast by the Brunch Kitchen, where we talk all things sustainability, physical and mental well-being, lifestyle, and much more. My name is Priyansh Parekh, and I'm a vegan chef and content creator. And I sit down with inspiring individuals who are following their dreams and turning their passion into reality. Today we are joined by Jumana, who is a yogi, a mother, and also a very inspiring vegan. And um, I'd like to thank her just for being here with us. Thank you for having me. Um, so we met a year ago. It was really funny how we met. Most random way ever. I think it's the most Dubai way. That's true. <laughs> ever as well. I, I, I got a DM from, from Jumana. Uh, r- responding to one of my balcony stories and saying, how did you do this? <laughs> um, and she was like, I want to do this to my balcony. <laughs> Can you come and have a look? And I was like, cool. I'm, I looked at her profile. I'm like, she's not a serial killer, so I'll, I'll go visit uh, and see what, what's up. And I went there and we sat in a balcony and I think we barely spoke about the balcony. <laughs> That's true. We just sat there for about two hours just talking about everything else and um, it was just really comfortable being in that environment. Um, I think that's that's one of the good things about Jumana is that she can make you feel like you've known her. Oh, that's so sweet. And there you go. That's that's an intro you can't pay money for. No, that was, that was an awesome <laughs> intro. Thank you so much. I couldn't have asked for a better one. But yeah, thank you so much for being here. One of the things I want to start with is obviously something that's a big part of your identity, um, yoga. Yes. How did that happen? How did you get into into yoga? I was introduced to yoga in uh, Montreal when I was uh, attending university there, and it was actually in my last year. Um, I basically had a few health scares, and I wanted um, to take control of the situation, and I found Um, that uh, someone I knew uh, kind of uh, was going through the same issues that I was, and she highly recommended yoga as a holistic approach, um, um, which really helped her heal and also um, helped her change her lifestyle, because obviously, um, you know, um, mentally and physically they tie together, and what you put in your body, whether it's the food you eat or even the products that you put on your body or... Um, whether it's smoking cigarettes, for example, or even the stress that you kind of take in that all affects everything that's happening uh, in the body and ultimately your health. So she, um, she, she highly recommended yoga. And I found um, a studio, a shala, um, just under um, the building where my apartment was. Um, and it was one of the oldest uh, yoga homes in, in the city. And it was run by a senior teacher who spent many years in India studying with with a guru there. So I decided to drop in and try a class. And uh, and I was hooked. I loved it. I came from, I wouldn't say a very athletic background, but I was very active. And I loved going to the gym. Um, And so my idea of yoga was that it was not necessarily a physically demanding practice. Mm. But when I attended this particular class, I was shocked at how physically demanding it was, and so that instantly hooked me. But as I continued to practice and attend more classes, the less I was going to the gym, because I felt like physically it met my needs. Yeah. But at the same time, I could feel a difference happening in the body and in the mind 
and, and slowly started to make certain lifestyle changes. Like I remember after the first class, I quit smoking instantly and I was a heavy wow. smoker. So that was the first of many changes that yoga had on my life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the journey continues 11 plus years later. Wow. Um, so what kind of yoga was it? Does it, does it have a name? Because now there's so many variations. Um, there's even goat yoga. <laughs> so I practice a style of yoga called Ashtanga yoga. Yeah. Um, and in Sanskrit, that word translates to eight limbs. So it's based off of um, a, f- a philosophy and a lineage and a tradition that is deeply rooted in uh, India and in ancient um, history of yoga as well. So it's not necessarily a modern style of yoga like goat yoga, although I don't really think that <laughs> the two should mix together. <laughs> Um, but it is what it is. Um, it now, the the way that the yoga practice has evolved over the centuries and the years that Ashtangas existed is um, uh, it's become more common for people to practice. So if you look at the history of yoga, it's not something that everyone's done. Mm-hmm. Um, normally in ancient uh, India, people would retreat into the jungles and the forests and it would be one teacher, one student, and these people would renounce society to practice yoga. Okay. Um, so it wasn't common for a woman or somebody who had a family, for example, to mm-hmm. be a yoga practitioner. But oh now no, it is. And so that's, that's kind of how yoga's become more modern. Yeah, more accessible. Uh, yes, more yeah. accessible. Definitely something that a society has embraced. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now a lot of people in, in the Ashtanga world, for example, that are leaders and inspirational teachers are women and okay. women who are mothers and women who have kids and families and responsibilities. A lot of us are also, you know, just your average Joe and Jane yeah. who wake up in the morning and drop their kids off to school and have a nine to five job yeah. and still manage to have, you know, um, a practice and a connection to the lineage as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I practice in a nutshell. Oh, amazing. How did you decide to take it further? Or did you just think that maybe these classes are, are doing what needs to be done? I don't need to outgrow this. So um, nine months into practicing uh, with my teachers in Canada, um, it was time for me to move back to Dubai. And they asked me, um, you know, and I was still very new to the practice and still kind of understanding what it meant to be part of this community, the wider community of yoga practitioners, specifically Ashtanga practitioners. Mm-hmm. So my teacher asked me, um, who are you going to go practice with in Dubai? I don't think there are any teachers there. Um, and I was very, very foolish to say, no, I'm not too worried. I mean, it's Dubai. I'm, yeah. I'm sure I'll find. Figure it out. Yeah, I'm sure I'll find a yoga studio. Um, and I didn't know at the time what he meant. I didn't realize that there was actually a direct a, a directory of teachers that, that he can access to see who's around the world that teaches oh. Ashtanga. Um, so I moved here and I looked for Ashtanga Yoga Mysore style and I couldn't find anything. So I became what is commonly known in the community of Ashtanga practitioners, a home practitioner, which meant that I did my practice at home alone. Um, and thankfully, because it's fixed sequences, I knew exactly what I needed to do. Then um, I came across a yoga teacher training program that a, that a lady named Piwi was running. And um, it definitely wasn't Ashtanga yoga, but it was yoga. And I wanted to yeah. be part of you know, some kind of community. So I signed up. It was a teacher training on the weekends, which fit with my work schedule. 
And it was a six-month-long program. Um, and of course, I was the ambassador of Ashtanga Yoga. So every time I would go to the training and she would discuss something, I would always jump in and say, but in Ashtanga Yoga. Nice. <laughs> so, nice. so I really wanted to kind of push that on, on people. Yeah. Uh, and a month into it, she saw just how passionate I was and mm -hmm. how um, I was different from the rest of the people that were joining the program in that I had a connection to a lineage, whereas the other practitioners in the program didn't. They mm. were just there to learn the yoga poses, the asanas, and learn how to cue right. um, and teach classes, and that was pretty much it. Mm. So after a month, she says, um, somebody's... Uh, asked us for a yoga teacher to cover a class and the only one that I could think of recommending is you and when I joined the teacher training program I had no intention to teach okay. uh, I was already starting my career and I wanted that to just take off and yoga was just something for me um, she convinced me and I said okay I will go and it was actually a class here in Marina okay um, and uh, and obviously I went and I didn't need to prepare for the class because I figured I will just practice I'll just teach what I practice um, and it's a fixed sequence so just let's go with that yeah. and people responded to it really well they loved it um, they didn't think that again just like me they didn't think that this is what they could get out of a yoga practice mm. it definitely challenged them on a physical level um, but uh, it also kind of impacted them mentally so they wanted more and I kept being called back to teach classes and then I became a regular teacher at the studio so I maintained a full-time job while teaching classes two, three times a week Amazing. at the studio. Yeah. And it just kept picking up from there. I then started to do community classes in Safa Park and, and other parks. And some people would invite me to their homes to teach them by the pools. And I did that for two years. And I just thought, um, this is not enough. I'm really getting into the whole teaching of, of yoga. And I want to do it properly. We yeah. need to be in a space where... Um, people understand that this is a sacred practice. Yep. We can't be putting on a show for other people to watch. We can't be uh, on grasses because that's not the most comfortable place to practice with insects crawling around mm. and the noise of you know the hustle and bustle of the city. So I started to think, you know what, I need to open a studio one day and, and make it a proper traditional shala the way that my teacher's shala back in Canada is and, and, and all the other shalas that I've seen pictures of around the world with a proper altar and nice. and you know just regular workshops happening and inviting senior teachers from all over the world to come teach and so eventually the yoga room was born which was the studio that I owned in JLT for a few years yeah wow so yeah yoga became a, a full-time career for about 10 years that's amazing yeah once you learn how to do yoga do you need to keep learning how to do yoga or is it you've understood the basics and now you just apply it in my view, you're always a student. It yeah. would be foolish of you to think that you've uh, mastered it all because yoga is not just the mastery of the body, but it's also the mastery of the mind. And let's face it, we can never do that. Mm. So in, in our lifetime, what we are essentially trying to do is to understand the mind and understand the body. And our body changes with the seasons. As you grow older, things change. And you yeah. know... There are some things that I used to be able to do when I was in my 20s that I can't now in my 30s as a, as a mom as well. My mm -hmm. body's been through a lot in the last few years. Um, and there's always something to learn from a philosophical point of view. Within Ashtanga Yoga, they've um, divided the asanas into six series. Okay. And so um, 
I think there are very few people around the world who have completed all of, all of the series. So again, there's always something to look forward to learning. Um, and also with teaching, you kind of learn from experience and you learn from your students as well just by um, you know, uh, meeting people with different body types and, and different um, uh, backgrounds and you know, different problems and issues that they faced in life. Yeah. So yeah, you're constantly learning and you're always, to be a teacher, you need to be a student first. And wow, always. I love that. We can put that on a t-shirt. Yeah. That's great. Um, so one of the things when, when, I, when we first met when we were talking about um, your, your sort of yoga journey, um, one of the things you brought up was that you, you visit uh, Mesor a lot. And um, so whenever I meet people that um, are sort of yoga teachers or instructors, I'm always a bit, I don't know, I'm always a bit skeptical because um, most of them have, have gotten certification online, um, which completely fine. But, you know, they see yoga as sort of an exercise, something that you could get a certification in and you're a yoga teacher. Um, whereas with you, there's this constant spiritual sort of passage that you try to master the spiritual side of it, which is a lot of what yoga is, which is what we were taught as kids as well, um, growing up in, in an Indian community. And, and that's, that's what like, really stood out about you, is that you actually appreciate the culture and you are constantly immersing yourself in it. So tell us a bit about how Mysore came into your life and how you started. So Mysore is a place in India. Mm -hmm. And how that, um, that came about. So when you um, get introduced to Ashtanga, especially if you begin learning from a senior teacher who's truly connected to the lineage, you often hear about going to India, mm. kind of making the pilgrimage to Mysore specifically, because that's where um, Ashtanga, as we know it today, was born. Okay. Um, and I say that because, uh, remember, Ashtanga is um, a philosophy that's existed for thousands of years. Yeah. Um, but the physical practice as we know it today was popularized by um, a man who was in Mysore mm -hmm. and his name was uh, Patabi Joyce. Um, and he gained popularity in um, the 60s with people from the West. Um, and this was with you know, the rise of the hippies who were coming from all over the world to India sure. uh, on their quest. And a lot of them who were into yoga or who were interested in yoga found their way to Patabi Joyce and started practicing Ashtanga with him and many of them, one of them being my teacher, my first teacher, Mark Darby, um, he lived in Mysore for about four or five years in the late 70s, um, met his wife in India, had two of his three uh, kids in India um, and decided one day to go back to the West and bring yoga with him. So again, if you are an Ashtanga practitioner who's met um, who's, who's been introduced to the practice through uh, a senior teacher connected to the lineage, then they will tell you about their time with Patabi Joyce yeah. and their time in India, uh, in Mysore specifically, to learn the practice, to learn more about also the spirituality of yoga. Because um, obviously, I mean, you know, you being from a, a, an Indian background, uh, I don't know if you've visited India often, but when you go there, you feel different you yeah. feel a different spiritual connection to the to the land to you know your surroundings the temples even if 
you're not uh, part of that culture. You just get drawn to it, Agreed. especially yeah. if you're the type of person who's drawn to spirituality. So um, Patabi Joyce's grandson, Sharat uh, Joyce, continues to teach um, uh, the practice and carry on the lineage. And, um, you know, the dream once I really became immersed in Ashtanga Yoga was to go there and experience it. And I figured it would be like a one-time thing and that was that. I just want to cross that off my list. And I didn't think that it would also be possible um, with the kind of lifestyle that I followed, which was having a full-time job, a nine-to-five, yeah. with very limited days off in the year. Mm. So I made my first trip in 2012 and I was hooked. I remember leaving thinking, this can't be my last trip. And, and it was the trip where I actually decided that I was going to come back to Dubai and resign and start working on opening the yoga studio. And that's pretty much what happened since 2012 up until 2019. I made almost yearly trips to India. Obviously, no, there were that's times more than more yeah. than I. <laughs> we do every like two years, but that's there crazy. Yeah, so um, I would go and spend about a month there. You, you were required to be there for a minimum of a month. Um, and the the reason I, it's it's a very interesting business model as well. Mm. So to go back to your point, yes, there are online teacher trainings or month-long teacher training programs that you join they're they're called 200 hour teacher trainings that are sure. offered with yeah. someone like somewhere like the yoga alliance uh you do those 200 hours within a month and then you get a piece of paper saying that you're a certified yoga yeah. teacher uh the joyce family didn't do it that way they required you to make regular visits mm. and for them to be one month long um and it would take around a minimum of four trips and a lot of people were staying for two, three months. There was also a time where people were allowed to stay for six months. That was before um, the, 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 the shala became very popular around yeah. the world. And then um, after a few trips, when they, and after you've completed a certain set of poses, um, you become what, what they call in the uh, Joyce uh, lineage, authorized to teach. You have authorized level one, authorized level two, and then you become certified. Certified is like, you've completed at least three or four of the series and you're, you know, you can do most of the asanas kind of close to perfection. And that's very interesting because that, then that meant that people had to keep coming back <laughs> yeah. and studying with them. Um, and so I think because of that, that was one of the things that made me think I want to keep coming back because I don't want to be an authorized teacher. If I'm going to own a studio in Dubai that focuses just on teaching Ashtanga, mm. then I also believed that having that title was important for me as um, a dedicated practitioner and as a teacher and ultimately as a business owner. You right. have to also think about, you know, what are the ways to pull people in? If mm -hmm. you look at other studios around the city and around the world, they don't just offer one style of yoga. They offer different styles to bring the bring business in. Yeah. So really my trips to Mysore were for a couple of reasons. Um, one being that I just loved being there. It was my happy place. Um, it was the only time where I could be fully immersed in the yoga practice and not worry about anything else. Yeah, no distractions. That, exactly, yeah. and that's all we did there. I didn't have to worry about work or worry about anything else. Um, and then the other reason, uh, to be honest, was to get authorized, which for me took five trips. Yeah, that's, that's some dedication. <laughs> so on one of your last trips, you took your daughter with you. Very true. Tara, my first, uh, my firstborn, was two years old when I took her with me, and that also was a dream because I went to Mysore and I saw a lot of moms and parents bringing their kids with them, and 
you know, when we would go to chanting class, the kids would come and, mm. and they would just run around. And Sharath loves kids. So he, and he loves families. He's a family man as well. So he loved seeing, you know, his students come with their whole families. And so, um, you know, when I had Tara uh, and she was two years old, I think w I wouldn't have been comfortable taking her when she was younger. Um, yeah. But then when she was kind of walking and talking, mm. then I felt okay, um, especially because we had to be there for a month. Yeah. Um, and it just so happened that we planned it at a time where another friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, who's one of my first students in Dubai, was also going to be there with her daughter. And so we would help each other out as well. And I took Tara with me and it was, that was the last trip to India, as you said. And it was the best trip ever. Cause obviously I was there with my daughter and you know, Sharat is someone that I really admire uh, and, uh, and look up to. And to introduce uh, my daughter to him was really nice. And that was the trip I got authorized. So that was also really special to have her there with me during that. And she loved it, you know. She was like full-on hippie, barefoot all the time. Amazing. <laughs> eating mangoes with the, you know, the mango juice dripping down her arm. It's the only and, way to eat mangoes. And and seeing the absolutely and seeing <laughs> the cows roam freely in the streets. And obviously, you know, as as a vegan mom who is ultimately raising her kids to be uh, ethically vegan and and eating plant-based diets, it was just really nice for her to see how other living creatures mm. can coexist yeah um and the monkeys running around and 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 the cows roaming the streets and you know seeing how a lot of uh, the indians were just taking their blessings from the cows and following the traditions that they follow and being able to then kind of teach her uh, yeah. about compassion and about animals and but but point it out to her just in front of her eyes mm. rather than just say it and for her to not kind of make the connection that was really special yeah i think india is definitely one of those places that you should definitely take your kids because um, i remember being a kid there uh, on our holidays and we had this thing where um, we'd make rotis for, for lunch mm -hmm. and there'd always be one that was for the cows on the street so they'd, they'd take us out to, to feed the cows and you'd, they'd make you hold it up, like my, my uncle would, have, would make us hold it up to the cow, and the cow just grabs it, and you're just <laughs> flinching the entire time. And that sound just becomes music of the cows on the street, they're just walking around, you just know that you've landed in India, you're here, like you're smelling the air, you're smelling the cows, and it, in, in, in the most beautiful way possible, this is how our cities should have been. Yeah. This is how we should have developed in a way that nature could have coexisted. Because yeah. you see that, that the places where we stay in India are all cities mm -hmm. and they're all major cities. But nature is still somehow integrated into it. People are driving on highways, are still mindful of the cows, of, yeah. of the dogs, of, of all the stray animals that um, are sort of around. Yeah. But yeah, that's great that you were able to, as a non-Indian especially, able to experience that, especially for um, Tara to, to be there. Yeah, uh, it was very special. So you touched on raising your kids vegan. Yeah. Could you tell us a bit more about that? How, how has that been so far? I'm sure people have tried to give you a lot of advice. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. How, how has that been over? How, your oldest is now five. Mm -hmm. How has that been over the, the five years of, of raising a, a vegan child? So raising a, a vegan child in a world that is predominantly not vegan yeah. 
and coming from uh, backgrounds and cultures that you know are not plant-based being middle eastern mm. uh, arab and greek um, that was very challenging it, i definitely faced a few challenges but um, you know i haven't eaten meat since i uh, started the yoga teacher training it was actually it was then that I decided to experiment mm. with um, following a uh, a plant-based diet. It wasn't fully vegan. Veganism kind of evolved over the years. Um, and the reason why I chose to raise my children vegan was because they were the reason I became vegan. Okay. So I was uh, introduced to James Aspie in 2016 towards mm -hmm. the end of my first pregnancy. Um, and... Uh, the few videos that I watched were really focused on dairy, the dairy industry, the cruelty in the dairy industry. Mm. And as a mom who was, or a mom-to-be who was preparing to welcome her child with the intention to nurse her, <laughs> I could relate to the animals yeah. uh, and, the, and the dairy cows. Mm. And so um, that was, you know, dairy and eggs were the last thing to give up in my journey of eating plant-based and and following a uh, vegetarian slash vegan lifestyle. Um, and so that was pretty much why I decided to give it up. So just um, a couple of months before my daughter was born was when I started to transition towards a 100% vegan lifestyle. Um, and you know, I, I already decided that this is something that I am very passionate about and it's mm -hmm. a strong belief of mine that we need to be compassionate towards our um, animal friends. Um, we uh, and and you know being plant-based and being vegan is my way of showing compassion. I know that there are other cultures around the world that um, they say that you know they can they ethically consume meat or mm. ethically consume other animal products which to me doesn't make sense. Mm. Um, and that's why I couldn't think of a way where I could teach my children compassion and to ethically treat animals while consuming yeah. their flesh and their secretions. Yeah, and w it being in, in the society that we're in, where there's so much access, where it's not, we're not eating meat out of necessity, yes. is even worse, because now you're, you're just trying to explain that to yourself, that all certain cultures do it. So you know, this is my yeah. way of doing it. There's obviously some cultures that have that necessity, you know, aren't, aren't in as developed cities, countries in the world. Yeah. And they don't have the access to it, absolutely. Or to fresh food, for example. Yes. Um, so in our case, where we're, we're blessed with, with all the food that we get from around the world. Exactly, um, very it's, true. Yeah, it's, it's a bit pointless to, to be using that argument um, for, for the yeah. people that do. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's why it didn't it, it didn't work for me. I I um, I recognize that that I have access to everything that I need to thrive on a plant-based diet and so do my kids. And of course, it's it's still been a journey to learn. Um so I never faced any challenges in finding um vegan alternatives for example for for my children. Um so I, I want to raise them on a plant-based diet because I believe that that is essentially what's healthy. I, I, I don't give them junk food. I'm mm. not going to say 100%. There's been a time here and there where they've had a vegan Magnum ice cream. Sure. Or recently at Expo, Floozy Soft Serve. Oh, you know, my God. <laughs> it's definitely uh, not. It's I like, dream about that. I know. I know. So do I. That's the only reason I go to Expo. Yeah. <laughs> the soft serve. 
Um, but no, I want them because I believe that food is medicine. And mm. you know, I've seen people around me um, um, get sick because of what they eat or continue to be sick because of what they continue to eat or avoid eating. You know, I, I have family members that don't touch vegetables at all. Oh. And I really don't understand how. how and you know, th 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 there's a list of, of diseases and ailments that they're constantly medicating uh. with pills, but you know, the answer is just right in front of them. Follow a healthier lifestyle, eat more vegetables and fruit and cut out the processed stuff and definitely decrease, if not completely cut out animal products from your diet. But yeah, the, the, the main challenges that I faced in raising my kids vegan is explaining to family members mm. why it's important and why I believe it's the best option. And of course, some of the challenges that I faced, unfortunately, was trusting that they would respect, respect my that, choices yeah. mm. and support me in that when my kids are with them and I'm not, mm. that they will continue right. um, because you know it's very difficult for a grandparent, for example, to say no mm. to a grandchild. And sometimes kids just don't know, they don't know any better, they don't know that what they're doing is different from others. Yeah. Now my oldest is five, so she kind of understands and you know, we have a lot of conversations about um, the vegan lifestyle and what it means and, and uh, you, know, you have to be very careful with also the words that you use because mm. ultimately what you don't want is your vegan child to have this ego that they're better than others. Yeah. It's really not about that. And I feel like using the um, vegan lifestyle is a great way to kind of instill also good characters in a child because you're teaching them that it's not about being better than others, but it's about you doing the best that you can. Yeah. And we've, we've all made mistakes along the way. Um, you know, will I say that as, as a vegan, I have never eaten an animal product? No, I have accidentally. Yeah. And, and I don't beat myself up for it, but I know that next time I'll do better in, in for example, being very particular about what questions I ask yeah. the waiter at a restaurant, for example. Yeah, you just, you, like we have our own menu in our head. Yeah. Because you can look at, I know my friends are like, oh, can you eat this? I'm like, no. <laughs> How do you know? I know. Yeah. I, I just know. I don't even have to read the ingredients list anymore. And yeah, that's we're working on another wavelength just because <laughs> we've had to deal with so many difficult scenarios. And I think one of the most important things with making a mistake is also not giving up at that point. Like, yeah. oh, it's ruined, that's over now, I'm not vegan anymore. Yes. You know, I've broken the, this, I've pulled the tape off, um, it's, it's over now. But yeah. yeah, it's important to keep coming back to it and, and forgiving yourself. And Yeah, definitely. Um, Tara, for example, when she was two, um, and we were in Mysore, uh, we were sitting in a cafe and just amongst, you know, fellow practitioners from the Shala. And so you just felt comfortable kind of turning and looking away for a couple of minutes, knowing that she was, she was all right. Yeah. But then I turn back and I find her sitting next to someone and this person is feeding her an omelet uh. <laughs> and I'm freaking out and I run to this person and tell them, oh, you know, thank you for sharing your food, but please don't, she's vegan. Mm. And so since then, she's actually had eggs a few more times. Okay. Um, so I think, you know, kids very similar to adults, they form some kind of an emotional connection with food, mm. right? Um, and so for someone like Tara, who's very attached to her grandparents, um, sometimes she'll see what they're, what they're doing, what they're eating, and she kind of want to just because they are. They are, yeah. 
Now, she's very good with, very good, um, I don't know if th that's the right choice of words, but I'll just go with it. She's very good with not wanting to eat meat. Mm. Like if she sees a piece of meat, a piece of chicken, um, she instantly knows what it is and she can make that connection yeah. that that's... It's an easy line to draw. Yeah. Like with meat. But with dairy, it's such a like... With dairy and blurry, eggs. Yeah. Absolutely. She couldn't. So that's why eggs was something that she was very curious about trying. Yeah. Um, so she's had it a couple of times and she's even said, I really like the taste of eggs. Mm. Um, and I have to explain to her being vegan isn't because you don't like the taste of something. Yeah. Um, it definitely helps to not like the taste of certain things yeah. to, so that you don't eat them, but it's, it's, that's not what it's about. Um, and as she's grown older, um, I've been able to explain to her and help her draw the line. And so now she kind of makes the connection. So, you know, she'll, she'll declare to her grandfather, for example, I don't want to eat eggs because I'm vegan. Nice. And being vegan means that we don't hurt our animals because animals are our friends. And eggs can be, and that's where I'm very proud, she says can be, not are, because she's smart, can be baby chicks. Nice. <laughs> so I don't want to eat eggs. <laughs> well, there are a lot of adults that I think she needs to talk to. Yeah. That's great. Um, <laughs> I must say that you are raising quite the activist. I see some of your stories where you guys are cooking together and she's, she's explaining what's been, I mean, she's doing a better job than I am on my <laughs> cooking account. But she's really explaining each ingredient that's going in and she's so invested and that's such an important um, part of veganism and why a lot of people are skeptical about going into veganism because they don't know what to cook, they don't know what should be in it, they don't know how to eat a healthy, balanced vegan meal. Um, that satisfies them so it's good that she's already and that you are equipping her with the tools to deal with this um, later but yeah she's had the jump start that we all wish we had yeah definitely all I can do as a parent is lay the foundation and mm. hope for the best and just you know continue to be supportive and understanding and compassionate right towards uh, her on her journey as a human um, and obviously, as a vegan parent, my, my wish is that she continues to be vegan, which a lot of people have challenged and said, you know, one day she's going she's going to want to experiment, she's going to want to try. And I challenge back and I say that's not necessarily the case. Mm. You, you could be right, but you could also be wrong because, you know, there are a lot of kids who grew up vegetarian because of their cultures. I have. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And they were never necessarily tempted to try meat, but... Oh. Yeah, I can't say the same about all my friends, but I definitely have at no point yeah. looked at meat. And and yeah. even now, when I when I eat a lot of the mock meats and my friends are like, oh, this tastes just like it. I'm like, this is what you guys were hyping up for my yeah. entire life. Yeah. This is pretty okay. Yeah. I've eaten better food than this. That's vegetarian. There you go. That hasn't, you know, so for me, it's it's been that realization of, yeah. well, you guys have, this is fried chicken? Really? <laughs> like, that's it? <laughs> that's it? <laughs> you guys have made me feel so bad yeah. for not missing out on on the chicken nugget i guess for my you're entire right, life you're but right if you can do this vegan and it it tastes the same apparently then why not then what's yeah. stopping you now yeah that's so true so i think it really does depend on the person um you know i could i could be the strict vegan parent which now i've kind of moved away from in that i continue to teach my kids about the vegan lifestyle the, the, what what lies at the core and i continue to you know um speak to our relatives and our friends and tell them listen like i need your support or for example when my kids get invited to birthday parties mm. then i communicate to the parent and i tell them 
you know, this is the, the lifestyle we follow. I'm more than happy to bring a slice of vegan cake and, and a vegan meal for for yeah. them, but it's often met with, no, no, we'll, we'll get it. You that's know? good. We'll, we'll get it for them. So that's really nice. Um, but in the end of the day, um, she will grow up to be her own person. Yeah. She already is. You know, yeah. She has a very strong personality. Uh, and seeing her be the, 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 the person that she is now and that she you know, wants to say no to things, mm. Um, is great, and I can only hope that that continues. But there also is a possibility that that could change. Just like she was curious to try egg, mm. um, and even though when she tried that egg, it wasn't in a situation where I could actively stop it. Yeah. And I think that that's a good thing that that happened because, you know, she tried it and she enjoyed it and she got to see what it was, what it what it tasted like, and what it was all about. But still eventually kind of made the decision and the connection that you know i don't want to do this yeah and i think that's very important because then that would mean that this would be something that she really she does because she really believes yeah, in. yeah it's it's a choice that she's yeah. made and doesn't feel the need to for example say oh i can eat these things but behind mommy's back mm, because that's important that's yeah. i don't want that yeah i'd much rather her yeah, Be and it's good that it. you're you're having conversations with her where she realizes yeah. why she's doing what she's doing. Yes. Um, in my case, it was a cultural thing. Yeah. So, and I, I was I used to go to a lot of these religious classes where we'd sit and we'd learn about religion. Um, and so, as a Jain, a lot of our religion is based on science. And you know, I I'd, I'd like to say that we were vegans before vegans, in a lot of ways. I mean, we still consume dairy uh, as Jains, which I don't think society has evolved as much since then, but um, it, there's a lot of like, don't walk on grass because there's a lot of life on there, you know? Or if you do, just you just do a small prayer, whatever. It's just these tiny things like, mm. you know, you shouldn't eat post um, sunrise, sunset. Mm. Um, and all these like little things that are now scientifically like pe diet fads or whatever, trends. Yeah. Um, the things that I was being taught as a kid and I could link it to science at that point. So it wasn't like wishy-washy, like yeah. um, some really incredible mythological figure is like, no, don't do this. Yeah. Um, it was like, all right, this is why you shouldn't do this. Mm -hmm. And that's important that you're giving her those uh, examples and you're giving her those reasons to then be able to justify her choices later in the future. Exactly. That's great. So you are now pregnant again. I am, yes. Baby number three is on the way. <laughs> Baby number three. So what's it like being vegan and pregnant is it i know my mom was vegetarian for both she's vegetarian her entire life and so was everyone else in my family but veganism is another step forward mm -hmm. um and i know i i feel like dairy was a big part of vegetarian pregnancies mm. not too sure i can ask my mom and, yeah. and check but how, how does it make a difference or does it make a difference being vegan while being pregnant is like being vegan and not being pregnant. <laughs> and which basically means that you can do it. Okay. Right? So I, um, what I find very interesting about pregnancy and non-vegans is that there's a lot that they are told not to consume while pregnant. For example, raw fish, unpasteurized mm. milk and cheese, mm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you look at the list of things that you're not supposed to consume as a vegan, don't think there's much. 
Okay. Some cultures will tell you not to consume, yeah, some cultures would say not to consume uh, raw papaya when you're pregnant because they can kind of stimulate uterine contractions, but, okay. but not because they can cause harm to mm. the pregnancy, because they carry with them bacteria. Okay. Um, so that's what I found really interesting in that as a vegan who is now pregnant, I really didn't have to change anything in my diet. Unfortunately, I go through uh, pregnancy sickness, <laughs> so the only thing I could really live off right now is just a whole lot of bland carbs. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, I was so I was vegetarian with Tara up until my last month, and okay. that's when I became vegan. Then, with my second pregnancy with Elena, I was a vegan, and I never felt the need um, to supplement with animal products because my blood work didn't show that I was lacking in anything. I had a lot of energy eating my regular diet while pregnant. Um, obviously, I eat a lot of plant-based foods. I, my diet is predominantly whole foods. Mm. Um, I, I also didn't feel like I needed to up my calories at any point because I already ate a uh, calorie-heavy diet in that, um, you know, I never really counted calories or I never really limited my calories to 1,200, 1,400 to maintain yeah. a certain physique. I just felt like with a diet that basically I consumed a whole lot of vegetables and greens. I just knew to eat until I was satiated and then I knew when to stop. And that kind of continued also with the pregnancy. The only thing that changed is towards the end of my pregnancy when baby was, you know, occupied most of the space in my belly. Yeah. I felt like I just needed to eat smaller and more frequent meals and that was that. I also continued to practice yoga and, and do um, weightlifting three times a week while pregnant with Elena wow. both together. And, you know, my diet definitely helped with that. Mm. Because like I said, I just never felt like there was a decrease in energy because I ate plant-based or because I am a vegan. Um, now with this pregnancy, I, I'm perfectly fine. I'm, you know, by the time this episode comes out, I'll be in my second trimester. But currently I'm still in my first trimester. And I do have a lot of food aversions and that's very common with pregnancies. Um, but not once did I feel like I needed to eat an animal or any animal products. I never had any cravings throughout my pregnancies for meat or anything like that. And often they say when you have cravings, it's your body's way of telling you that it needs something Yeah. as well. So yeah, just not having those cravings is also kind of, um, it reassures me that I'm, I'm doing perfectly fine being a vegan and following eating a plant-based diet while pregnant. Yeah. And uh, obviously I, I see a doctor very regularly throughout my pregnancies and they never had i've seen so i've been with a different doctor for every pregnancy and not once have they had any objections to okay. to my lifestyle um they would just ask me to give them an example of you know what do you what do you eat in a day and i think when they saw that you know i didn't eat processed foods i'm not really into the beyond meats and the impossibles sure. and stuff like that so i'm not into the mock meats um, if I do make burger patties or, or, or sausages at home, they're often made with whole foods, chickpeas yeah. and oat flour or whatever and seasonings Yum. and that was it, right? <laughs> uh, mushrooms yeah. and stuff like that. So um, when they saw that I main, mainly ate a plant-based diet, they were just really happy to know that my diet consisted of a variety of foods yeah. 
and it was very colorful and uh, and I knew what I was talking about when I would say oh you know I ate this for fats and that for protein and this for carbs so they're happy no objections and so far three very healthy pregnancies and two very healthy babies that's incredible do you have any advice for moms that are trying to eat more vegan or to be moms that are trying to eat more vegan or moms that are trying to raise their kids vegan or just people that want to be vegan in general uh yes i do uh first thing i would say to people and moms who want to you know transition to this lifestyle or eat more plant-based is to just do it because there's a lot of benefits obviously a lot of health benefits but also i just feel like you know when you align your values with your actions and your and or vice versa your actions with your values then i feel like mentally and spiritually that makes a huge difference yeah you there's access to so much information right now um and you can speak with professionals dietitians nutritionists doctors health professionals to better understand like how can i consume a plant based diet and make sure that i am you know meeting all my needs my requirements and that my uh, and that this lifestyle or this diet is not affecting my health in any way which it shouldn't i mean i can't think of people who consume predominantly a plant based diet who would suffer from health issues unless you know um they are limiting their their calorie intake or they're too worried about carbs yeah you know consume carbs as long as they're the right carbs carbs that come from fruits and that come from uh starches and vegetables and yeah. you know everybody is different as well so it might be that the amount that you need will differ from someone else there are a lot of bloggers as well um that i highly recommend you follow not because they're experts from a nutritional perspective but they are definitely experts in putting together some very delicious meals so if you're lost and confused you're not sure what to cook then you can get your inspiration from these bloggers bloggers yeah um content creators online and uh, the one last thing that i would um leave them with one last piece of advice is try to find people in your community who do follow this lifestyle and learn from their experience and we're talking about people who have been following the, this lifestyle for years not someone who just recently became vegan because it's the latest trend sure um speak with people you know get gather all the information you can so that you are properly equipped yeah. to to be on this lifestyle and not fail mm. one last piece of advice is follow the prunch kitchen no. <laughs> should have said that yeah no it's fine it's fine i knew where you were going it's fine um so before we wrap up we have a segment on the show where we do a book recommendation um we get the guest to to give us a book recommendation so that I can read more books and become a better person. But okay. do you have a book recommendation and why? I so I would recommend two books Great. for yoga. Okay. Uh I would recommend reading a uh, yoga sadhana for mothers. Okay. Um and this is the reason I recommend it is because a lot of women who uh practice yoga whether they are regular yoga practitioners or just kind of practice it three times a week, they worry that when they get pregnant they need to stop. Uh, and this particular book uh has stories from ashtanga moms uh who share their experience with being pregnant and practicing yoga um and and what their delivery experience was like so i really enjoyed reading that okay while i was pregnant yoga sadhana for mothers uh the other book that i'd recommend is um 
for, uh, for the vegan cause, and it's called How Not to Die. Um, and then there's also the How Not to Diet. Okay. Um, there's a lot that you can learn from that book. I feel like it will answer a lot of questions and put a lot of rumors to bay, <laughs> to nice. rest. Um, so, yeah. That's amazing. We'll put all the recommendations and references in the description, yeah. uh, along with all the bloggers that Najumana likes. Uh, we'll put that as well. But thank you so much for being here. We have had some very educational and informational discussions today. Um, I hope there's, there's something that someone can take. Even if you're not a mom, there's a lot of really incredible things that we've spoken about today um, to do with veganism, which we actually haven't been able to cover on any of the episodes before. But I'm glad it was on this one. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to either of us. But thank you so much for joining us. Amazing. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Brunch with Pre. If you enjoy the show, please give us a rating and feel free to reach out to me directly on Instagram if you have any feedback. This show is produced by Vedahi Patel and the artwork is designed by Sophia Gowan Taylor. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are in the world. See you in the next episode. Bye.